Good morning. So good to be with you today. My name's Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. That was a great set of announcements, wasn't it? I mean, to be, a, to be involved in a church like this, that is caring for people inside these walls, but at the same time looking for ways that we are looking outside these walls to bless the community that we're in and to see the development of the bilingual ministry over the past five years. Do you know Pastor Pablo Dominguez? Have you met him? Would you raise your hand if you have? If you haven't met him, you need to, you need to go to that bilingual service sometime and meet him. He is a peach of a man, and he's got a better wit in English than I do, even though it's a second language. He's just a joy to be around, and he's done a great job leading that ministry over the past few years, and we're grateful for their little treats to us today. I think my son's eaten most of them already. (laughs) Thank you as well for your prayerfulness as you consider your pledge card as we move up to November 18th and Celebration Sunday. I know uh, we've we've already seen many pledge cards come in, and you can, of course, drop those off anytime. Uh, But thank you for praying about how you might um, help in this capital opportunity as we work to retire debt and then also work toward a number of important ministries and improvements here to this building. You know, last Sunday I had a a neat experience. I was uh, not giving the message last Sunday. Pastor Brian was, and didn't he do a great job? Brian just did an awesome job talking about spiritual blind spots. Yeah, you can clap for him. Talk about the spiritual blind spots uh, that we all have uh, from time to time and, and Jesus' healing of the blind man and how it relates to our story so well. And I was sitting back in the venue service listening to Brian. The venue meets at 9.15. It's a contemporary service like we just had here, only at an earlier time in the North Auditorium. So I was sitting back in the North Auditorium, the 9.15 venue service, taking in that message and sitting under Matt Demeret's great worship leading and Jordan Heinrichsen's great leadership in the venue. And uh, it was just a, a great Sunday for me as I was sipping on a latte from our cafe, taking it all in and kind of saying, hmm. I get used to this. This is kind of nice. And uh, just blessed by our staff team. We have such a fantastic staff team here that is all equipped to lead in their areas of ministry and to sit back and be responsible for nothing last Sunday and see it go so well, so beautifully. We're just really, really fortunate, this church, to have the team that we do have. Let me begin my message, though, this morning with this question. What do you think Jesus' primary spiritual message was? I noted a number of weeks ago that perhaps the topic he talked about more than any other, at least in terms of what we would call earthly messages, was money. He talked more about money than any other topic, but because it relates to us constantly, all of us. But in terms of spiritual messages that we would designate spiritual messages. Was it prayer? Was it the joy of heaven? Was it the offer of forgiveness for our sins and the gift of salvation? Was it what we would call the gospel? Which one? I'm not hearing any answers. 
Jesus' primary spiritual message can be summarized in three words. Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the primary message that you see in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as Jesus is trying to give to his church and to the world his vision as he comes to earth and how he is going to change things all around us with the introduction of the kingdom of God which is now present with us today. What I'd like to do this morning is just uh, hopefully answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? Because truth be told, it's still a little bit fuzzy in our minds, isn't it? Even though Jesus talks about this over and over again in the Gospels, it remains a little bit fuzzy in our minds. Like, we don't have many kingdoms in the West anymore. You don't hear about kingdoms unless you read the news last week about Saudi Arabia. We've replaced kingdoms in the West with more refined structures, like Congress. Couldn't help myself. Okay, well, we don't have kingdoms anymore, so what is a kingdom, and what does it look like if the kingdom of God is now present, it's now at hand, as Jesus said? If you lived in the first century, you would know immediately what a kingdom was. You would know that it was reigned by a king, by a Caesar, an emperor of some kind, who would dictate everything for everyone, dictate speech and social class and limit social mobility and dictate your social standing well within those classes, dictate your worship. And the long-awaited hope of the Jews for almost 800 years by the time that Jesus walks into Galilee the long-awaited hope of the Jews was for the kingdom of God to come down. And with the kingdom of God, there would be freedom from these foreign oppressors called Rome and Persia and Babylon and Assyria, all of which have ruled over the Jews and made them second-class citizens for, again, almost 800 years. The Jews are longing for a king, for a Messiah to come and to vindicate their cause and to give them freedom of belief, freedom of worship, freedom and hope, and to remove the bondages of the Roman Empire. And so with that setting, it's very good news when Jesus walks into Galilee and he says at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God is now at hand, he's saying. It is now with us even here today. We repent and we believe. We go lower. All the other kingdoms of the world say the way you raise yourself up is by getting more power, getting richer, getting in with the in crowd. But Jesus says repent and believe. Go lower. And then enjoy the kingdom of God which is now at hand with you. And this was great news to, to the Jews because again they were second class citizens in the Roman Empire. 
This term, kingdom of God, if you're uh, doing the Bible reading program at all that we have distributed, and you can find this orange Bible reading plan out at the information table, I'd encourage you to finish that out for the last two months of this series, and you'll get a greater knowledge of the New Testament and prepares you better for Sunday's messages as well. But, but this idea is called the kingdom of God in Mark, Luke, and John, and it's called the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew. Those two terms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, are synonymous. They are interchangeable. Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience that would have understood the moment they heard it. The kingdom of heaven refers to God's reign in the atmosphere around us. You see, Jewish thought was not that we would die and then go to heaven. Jewish thought was, yes, you die, and in the Lord you go to heaven, but also heaven comes down in the Messiah, and the kingdom of heaven with the Messiah is very near to us in the atmosphere around us. His goodness is at hand and available to ordinary people like us today. How do you like that? Okay, so... Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, as you read those in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just remember they are synonymous and interchangeable. Today we're going to start in the book of Luke, chapter 4, and we're going to look at a number of different passages today. But this first one from the book of Luke, chapter 4, is Jesus quoting a long-awaited prophecy of that coming kingdom. In which Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, says this is what the coming kingdom will look like. And it is principally hope for the brokenhearted. We get to embrace the kingdom of God. We embrace the kingdom of God. Here's your first point this morning. We embrace the kingdom of God as weary travelers on the road of life. Are you a weary traveler? Please say yes. Okay. We have this in common, don't we? Every person in this room has this in common. We are weary travelers on this road of life. No matter what your religious belief system might be today, no matter what your worldview is today, we all hold this in common. We are weary and life's burdens have a way of beating us up. Amen? That's all of us. And we also have this in common. We are looking for some kind of foundation some kind of worldview, some kind of kingdom that we can stake our lives on, that would give us strength amidst the storms of life. And there's the kingdom of this world that focuses on wealth and power and beauty and gain in with the in crowd. And then there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God focuses on completely different stuff. It focuses on going lower on sacrifice, on service, on gentleness, on humility. This was true. These things that we hold in common were true for those in 30 AD as well when Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth and he opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads this long-awaited hope of the entrance of the kingdom of God from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he's in Nazareth, and he says this in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, as he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind 
to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This, again, is a description of the kingdom that was given by Isaiah all those years before. And what Jesus done here, d- does here, right after quoting that passage, is really quite stunning. He looks at this crowd in Nazareth, and he gives the scroll back to the attendant in the synagogue. And then he sits down, as they would do when they were giving sermons in those days. And as he sits down, he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture is fulfilled in my coming. It's like the ultimate mic drop moment. He's saying the king is here and you're looking at him. Messiah is now at hand. The long-awaited one is right in front of your eyes. The thing that's so crazy about this is this wasn't New York City. This wasn't Jerusalem even. This wasn't Rome. This was Nazareth. It was a nobody-nowhere type of town filled with people who would have really identified with these words that we just read. Now, who are these four different groups of people that I've underlined in my Bible and perhaps you would underline in your Bible as well? He comes, he comes to preach good news to the poor. Who's the poor? They're the poor, okay? They're folks who can't make rent, they're people that we meet regularly who have difficulty keeping gas in their cars. They're the poor. And he comes to bring good news to the poor that you also matter to God. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Who are the prisoners? I actually think it's all of those who are still trapped in their own sinfulness. It's those who are trapped in the prison of their own sinfulness and they don't know how to get out of it. And they try their very best to peel away from all of the temptations, but it always fails. And so they need someone to come and forgive them and to give them newfound strength to fight against their temptations. And he comes to give recovery of sight to the blind. And who's the blind? Again, as Brian said so eloquently last week, that's all of us. At one time or another, all of us are spiritually blind and we have these blind spots that get in the way of our connection with God. And then finally he comes to release the oppressed. And the oppressed in that culture were second-class Jews and many others who were pushed down by the thumb of an oppressive Roman Empire. And in our culture today, there are still people that are oppressed. There are people who are pushed down by the stakeholders in our world today, and Jesus would be speaking good news to each and every one of those that though by human terms you are considered lost causes, when Jesus gives these words to the synagogue in Nazareth and to you and me, he is saying, I matter to God as well. You matter to God too. That no matter where you are, no matter how much you've been pushed down by the burdens of life, no matter how much other people push you down, you still matter to God as well. It's really good news. I hope you believe it. It's really, really good news. And we are to embrace this as wary travelers on the road. It's really interesting well, what Jesus does here. Again, as he's quoting from Isaiah 61, if you're a real student of the Old Testament, you, know, you might know that Jesus omits the final line of verse 2 in Isaiah 61. I mean, he makes this great statement, but then the final line is, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And interestingly, when Jesus quotes this out of the scroll of Isaiah, he omits the line, the day of vengeance of our God. Like, huh? He's given an exact quote. Why would he omit the day of vengeance of our God? Well, I'm glad you asked. He omits that line because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You hear me? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so while there will be a day when Jesus returns again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and he will bring justice, and all of his holiness will be on full display, we don't live in that day yet. We live in the day that he's come, not as conquering king, but as suffering servant. Not as conquering king, but as sacrificial savior. Because he came not to condemn, but to save. Mm. Mm -mm. Glad someone is with me up here. You see, this is such good news of the kingdom of God because what it means is you might be in a spot today that you feel like you're separated from your family. God ain't done with you. You might be in a spot today that you feel like you've been shamed by your friends. And God ain't done with you. You might be in a spot today you feel like you've been rejected by racists. And God still ain't done with you. You might be in a spot today that you feel so overwhelmed by the burdens of life that they just pound you down. Or you feel like you've been a failure and you keep failing again and again in this one area. And God ain't done with you. The question is, will we embrace him as he comes? Embrace him as he is, because he's embraced us as we are. The question that remains is, do we embrace him as he is? And embracing him as he is, it's this. I'm a wary traveler. I'm brokenhearted. I'm beat down by the pressures of life. I'm a failure. I sin again and again and again. I'm a lost cause out of your redemption, King Jesus. That's how you embrace it, and there's no other way. There's no other way to come into the kingdom of God than by embracing him in your brokenness. We gotta understand, Jesus didn't come for those who think they don't need a doctor. He didn't come for those who think that they're pretty righteous, that they're pretty put together on their own. He came for those who admit I am, irrepar I am irreparably broken outside of your grace extended to me from the cross of the Lord Jesus. He came for those. Now what difference does this make for us? Obviously it makes a great deal of difference to know that I am humbled and I'm joy-filled because I'm embraced by you even in my brokenness. I'm fully known and yet at the same time I'm, I'm still fully loved. That makes a great difference for me personally but also makes a great difference in the way that I see other people, does it not? Like, if you understand that Jesus comes to you in your brokenness as a wary traveler, then how does that affect the way you treat other people? More to the point, how does it affect the way you see other kinds of people who sin differently than you do? How does it affect the way you see other kinds of people that you don't like because they're Democrats? 
because they're Republicans, because they're this lifestyle or that lifestyle. You see, the grace of the Lord Jesus, this is what it does. It breaks all of that down such that we don't see people anymore by their labels. We see them as they are, wary travelers who need the same thing that we need. We hold all of this in common. They are wary travelers just like us, and we get to not tear them down. We get to build them up. We get to encourage them in the kingdom of God. We get to point them forward toward Jesus Christ, our Lord, because they need the same exact medicine that we need. We're really not that much different. We need a doctor. We need a kind, generous, sovereign king to embrace, that he would embrace us. Let me summarize this idea to this point with a beautiful quote from Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, as he wrote in the book, The Bible That Jesus Read. He says this, kingdoms of this world are built on intelligence, beauty, wealth, and strength. Yet even at their Solomonic best, such human attractions fail. Has not history borne out that truth again and again? Has it not? The most beautiful attractions on earth they come crumbling down. They come crumbling down. Solomon's kingdom succeeds by accumulation. Jesus' kingdom succeeds by self-sacrifice. You must lose yourself to find yourself was Jesus' most often repeated proverb. This is a very different kind of kingdom that we embrace. We embrace it by going lower, not by going higher. And then we get to enjoy the kingdom. First we embrace the kingdom as fellow weary travelers. And then we get to enjoy the kingdom as trusting children. Enjoy the kingdom of God as a trusting child would enjoy his loving parents. Turn back with me about 30 pages or so to Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew 18 you'll see this beautiful statement from Jesus about enjoying the kingdom of God and telling us to become more like children ourselves. Matthew 18 verse 1 the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that what we do? Like, we're always looking for who's the greatest. Jesus says, that's beside the point. You're missing it. it like, if you want to know who's the greatest, he says this. Come here, little child. Come sit on my lap. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such as this child in my name welcomes me. We enjoy the kingdom of heaven as trusting children in the arms of our Savior. Uh, let me share something that unfortunately has become a little bit controversial in theological circles, but it never should have been. There is a great difference between salvation from my individual sins and enjoying life in the kingdom of God. Okay, both are necessary. But Jesus did more than just save us from our sins. He did come to do that to give us salvation, to save us from our sins, but he doesn't want us to stay there. 
He wants us to move forward such that we would enjoy life with him in the kingdom of God, that we could enjoy the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, enjoy relating to God our Father as Abba on a daily basis, enjoy relating to Jesus as our friend, enjoy relating to the Holy Spirit as our constant counselor and our comfort and our presence for us each and every day. This is what we are invited into. We are invited into the rule and the reign of God in our lives every day. And if you mistake that for mere salvation, you're just missing out. You're just missing out on so much of what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring the kingdom of God into our lives. Now here's the simplest of definitions on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever Christ rules. It's any place you look at in our culture, any place you look at in social structures, any place you look at in a family where Christ is ruling. It's the rule and the reign of God in the lives, in the hearts, and in the minds of individual men and women and children who surrendered their lives to him and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be sovereign over all of my movements, over all of my actions. I want to obey you in everything. I want your reign in my life. That's the kingdom of God. Put another way, it's anywhere you look in the world and you see something that's so beautiful that matches up so well with the gospels of Jesus that you would say, ooh, that's Jesus. That's what Jesus would want done in the world. That beautiful action that he did, that redemptive work that he did, that is Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18 is kids give us a special hint into what the kingdom of God looks like. I want to show you a quick video though, that demonstrates this in a beautiful way. It's through the eyes and through the lips of two people, Prairie Miles and Bill Potter, as they are reflecting on their time down in Columbia with our recent short-term mission team project there to uh, connect with many of our sponsored kids there in the Columbia area. Take a look at this video clip. Today we went to the center for the first time and emotionally it was just really incredible and overwhelming. Um, all the staff and the children, they were all outside singing and the kids were all dressed in uh, matching um, shirts and so there were rows of them in their pink shirts and they were all singing together and chanting and they were videoing us and taking pictures of us and they were so excited for us to be there and so um, I just cried. I was just overwhelmed by um, just how neat it was for them to be so excited and welcoming. We thought we're coming here, you know, to help them and to serve them, and yet they're there and so excited and wanting to serve us. there's a reason that Jesus uh, said let the little children come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven and uh, yes I've really experienced this uh, I feel like maybe this is about as close to heaven as I've ever been I've seen that video about 10 times, and every time it makes me tear up. <laughs> uh, like when you see uh, this little girl 
who's never met Eunice Potter sitting safely on her lap. And you see Pastor Brian praying over this girl, and she's not like running away. She's just receiving it as a gift. This is what it is to become more like our kids. Jesus didn't say become more childlike, or he didn't, become, he didn't say become more childish, excuse me. He said become more childlike, become more like our kids. Well, why? Well, what is it about kids that reveals to us the kingdom of God? I think of at least three things that reveals the kingdom of God, the way that kids naturally act that are different than the way we act as adults. The first thing is kids know how to receive a gift and smile and say thank you and not have to ask, how do I pay this guy back? You ever do that? You get a gift and the first thing in your mind is, oh, how do I pay it back? No, kids don't do that. They just say thank you, hopefully. <laughs> they smile and receive it. The thankfulness of understanding that I could not earn. Or how about this, the humility of kids to understand, yes, I need proper authority over my life. I cannot be independent from my loving parents. I need my loving, protective parents over me. Do you know that God never wants you to be totally independent of him? He wants you to be dependent on him on a day-in and day-out basis. And kids give us this demonstration that we are to follow in that. As a kid is dependent on good parents, so we are to be dependent on God. Or how about just the way those kids ran into Brian and Eunice's arms? Like the excitement at seeing people that you love. When the fellows come over for the football game, do they run into your arms? No, like you'll be lucky if you get a little fist pound. Maybe a, eh, what's up? You know, a little grunt. But kids, when they're in safe environments, they run into the arms of people that they love because they know there's goodness and I need it and it's enjoyable. What's the point? That's enjoying the kingdom. We are to enjoy the presence of our King and Savior, our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. And it's not just being saved from our sins. It is the enjoyment that comes from walking with Him, from being dependent on Him, from humbly receiving Him, from being excited to be in His presence on a day-in and day-out basis. And the simple truth is, if you only trust Jesus for your salvation you'll miss out on all of that. Yeah, you, you may be saved. Maybe you'll get to really enjoy a great thing in heaven. I, I believe that. But you'll miss out on all the joy in this life that God intends for us. The joy in this life that God intends to us comes out of a regular, ongoing relationship well with him. Getting to know him personally, engaging in all the different spiritual practices that Jesus gives us to do. And as a result of that comes this, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Psalm 63.3. Say that out loud with me. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than, it's better than life. It's better than anything that you'll find in this world. I promise you this, the steadfast love of the Lord, knowing the Lord is steadfast and unchanging and unwavering in his love for you is better than anything you'll find in this world. It's better than the joy of our kids. It's better than the joy of our marriages. It's better than the joy of a job well done in the workplace. It's better than the joy of you fill the blank. 
the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. It's, it's as we dwell with the Lord that we begin to exhibit the kind of life that's demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit. It won't happen if we don't learn to dwell with Him. We won't have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control unless we learn to dwell with Him, to enjoy Him. We won't have the kind of life as characterized by 1 Corinthians 13. That kind of love will not come from us unless we are daily receiving it from Jesus. And as we daily receive it from Jesus, as we enjoy him, then we can live out that way for others. We embrace the kingdom of God as wary travelers. We enjoy the kingdom of God as trusting children. And then finally, I want to tell you today that we get to expand the kingdom of God. Do you believe this? You get to expand the kingdom of God as passionate participants with Christ. None of us in this room were saved by Jesus to remain on the sidelines in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again, and please write it down. None of us in this room were saved by Jesus to remain on the sidelines in the kingdom of God. Like, how boring would that be? You get saved, and then you sit on the sidelines until you die? Ah, that's so boring. We are saved by Jesus to be passionate participants in the kingdom of God. Which is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then I'll take care of the rest. Make this your priority. Seek the kingdom. Seek God's righteousness. Seek God's goodness. Make this your first priority. Pursue him with a zeal, and all the rest will take care of itself. This is what we are invited into, is to expand the work of God's kingdom in our little lives, in our little worlds that God has called us to. You see, what Jesus does is he expands the kingdom such that it's bigger and bigger across the ages. The kingdom of God was not an unfamiliar idea to Jews, as I noted already. The kingdom of God came to Abraham, and uh, God called himself Abraham's friend. So the kingdom was there with Abraham and with Abraham's family and then with Israel that is, as it expanded from Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their progeny. Then it became a nation and the kingdom of God was available through this nation Israel. And then in the church the kingdom of God is available. But guess what? The kingdom of God is bigger than all of those. It's bigger even than the church. Let me give you a secret. It's bigger even than social media. It really is. Like the kingdom of God is the biggest. The kingdom of God was at work in each of these others. But the kingdom of God is Jesus' main thing, that he would use the church today to expand his kingdom even where there is no church. See, people that are only thinking about church oftentimes miss out on the kingdom because all they're thinking about is getting people into the church. But kingdom-minded people aren't just thinking about getting people into the church. They're thinking about getting the church into the world. You see, kingdom-minded people are not worried about the church coming, about the world coming in and staining the church. Kingdom-minded people are thinking about taking the church out into the world and affecting the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we get to do, friends. Like, could we be given anything better than that? We get to be participants in God's kingdom, extending his goodwill to every person that we meet this week. Wow! <laughs> I, I can't get over the fact that he would call me to be his ambassador. I just can't get over it. 
I, I get to see evidence of the kingdom of God through people in this room all the time. I think of a few different examples from last week. I'll share two right now real quick. We're running out of time. Uh, this week, Pastor Scott Stober and his wife Kimberly and their daughter Constance are in Cambodia because a year ago, Scott was a part of designing a home for women who would be rescued out of the sex trafficking industry, which is prolific in Cambodia. And so he helped to design that, and the vision of this home would be rescuing these women out and then providing family therapy services to them and to their kids and then giving them vocational training as they have a safe place to live for the next 12 to 24 months. And this week... He's right there at that home with 100 recipients who've been rescued out of prostitution. That's the kingdom of God, which is at hand right now. I think of people in this room who last week organized a beautiful service in this room with an organization called Shield 616, and there's this great steering committee that's been developed out of people in this church to provide protective vests and helmets for our local police officers that if there was ever an active shooter in our area, these officers would be protected because they are not given packs that would protect them from an active rifleman. And so, Hundreds of people in this community contributed to these funds which purchased these protective vests and helmets for 21 officers and they came up on stage here and then behind them were hundreds of others who had donated to these packs and have been praying for these officers as they were given these packs for the first time from people in this room. That's the kingdom of God. That's an expansion of the kingdom of God. And I could go on and on with this. From ministries that happen from this church and then expand beyond this church to people who just have a vision. They say, God, I want to be a part of your work. Wherever you would cause me to bloom, I want to be a part of your work. The only question that remains as I close here this morning is this. How are you going to be a part? What's God calling you to? Where does he want you to expand his kingdom? In your family? In your school? In your neighborhood? In your workplace? Where is he calling you even this week to do something that could be the beginning of a movement that expands his kingdom? Some of you, as you're listening to me though this morning, the way that God would have you expand his kingdom is by refusing to throw in the towel on your marriage. That you say, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to fight for it, as difficult as it is. For others here today, the way you're going to be called to expand his kingdom is by offering an apology to someone that you have hurt and owning that. Or forgiving someone who has hurt you. Or believing that God would forgive even you with whatever you brought in here this morning, that God would forgive even you. And when you believe that God would forgive even you, that the kingdom of God would come even into your world, then yes, indeed, it is expanding here today. For some of us, it's 
choosing to practice once again the ancient discipline of hospitality. There's so many lonely people around us that never get invited into someone's home. And to practice that beautiful ancient discipline of inviting lonely people into our home and just blessing them in the name of Jesus with no agenda, with no strings attached, just loving people as they are, that expands the kingdom right where you are living. I don't know what it'll be for you, but I ask you, will you pray about it? Will you pray about it with me? Because God didn't save you so that you could sit on the sidelines in his kingdom. He saved us that we would embrace the kingdom in our brokenness, that we would enjoy it today as trusting children. And God be praised that we would be a part of expanding it wherever we live and work. Would you pray with me for that? Lord Jesus, I think about where I was before I came to know you. I can't help but be melted by your love. That you would forgive me and you wouldn't stop there. You would also embrace me and call me your friend and invite me to your joy and allow me even to be an ambassador for you. I can't thank you enough. I pray for my friends in this room that you would help us to grow in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And I know there are people in this room today who have been forgiven by Christ, they're saved by Christ, but they're sitting on the sidelines. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to do your work in their hearts to convict where necessary. I didn't save you to keep you on the sidelines. And there are others in this room for whom their Christian life right now is drudgery. And I want to ask for these brothers and sisters in this room right now that you're your faith has not provided the joy that you hoped it would. And perhaps today would be the day that you commit yourself to dwelling more in the presence of the one who is love and enjoying him again. And the joy of the Lord could be yours. And perhaps for others who have never entered the kingdom, who have never received the good news of Jesus, who have never received his forgiveness, who have never been reconciled to God, maybe you're in that spot today. You've been holding God at arm's length. And today would be the day that you look to the cross and you say, oh, Jesus, you did that for me? Yeah. Yeah, he did it for me. He did it for you. Perhaps today would be the day that you allow him to reign supreme over your life. And the kingdom of God will be at hand. Lord, our heart's prayer is that greater things would be coming to our community. We watch the news and it is depressing. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing right now that greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in our lives, in our families, 
and even in this city. May it be.